If you could just uh, listen to me for a moment, and if your name is on this list, and you would like a tax receipt for this past year, we don't have your address. Deborah Bannister, Corrine Dawson, Sherry Duncan, Doris Frank, Justin Friesen, Sam and Melina Galenzi, Arena Johnson, Judith Johnson, D. Cornell, Keith Mitchell, Harold Redekop, Ron Sampat, Violet and Jason Scott, Jaden Shaw, Kenneth Waite, Grant Worley. If you would like a receipt, I shall leave the sacred document on the stage with a quill. Please come and just uh, fill it out, and then we will have your information. Thank you. Well, last week we began to look at Solomon's uh, examination of church-going people. Of course, in those days it would be people who were religious Jews that were going to the temple. Basically, he said two things. When you go to the house of the Lord, be careful how you hear. And secondly, be careful what you say in the house of the Lord. And uh, he said that uh, do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. Do not be rash with your mouth and do not utter anything hastily in your heart before God. And uh, we made the connection that the mouth bone is connected to the heart bone. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then, of course, here is the great uh, verse on theological geography. For God is in heaven. And you are not there. You are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So, of course, we looked at Job, who um, wanted to question God. And in Job's chapters 38 to 40, God came and questioned Job and asked him a few questions about Where were you when I hung the earth in the sky? And just a few other scientific facts. Job basically said, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth once I have spoken, but I will not answer yes twice, but I will proceed no further. The Bible tells us that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. James 3, chapter 2. And so today we're going to continue uh, in chapter 5 and we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 3. It says there, For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Now in context, he's been talking about coming into the house of the Lord, talking about being careful how you listen and careful how you speak. 
And then he drops this verse on us, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. And you're wondering, well, how in the world does this kind of connect to what he's been talking about? Well, I'll give you my best guess, my best opinion on the verse. It seems that Solomon is saying that just as many dreams seem to show that a person that sleeps well is a person that is a hard worker, so many words can lead to foolishness. In other words, just as hard working can lead to deep sleep and a lot of dreams, so many words will lead eventually to foolishness. It's kind of a proverb. And Proverbs is clear that fools speak a lot and love the sound of their own voices. For instance, in Proverbs 10:19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 17, 27 He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is a a calm spirit. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So where there is much work, Proverbs says, it makes one much tired, And it leads to many dreams, but no one knows whether those dreams are in fact real. Just as that can happen, so where there is much talk, foolishness or sin can be sure to abound. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. It says, don't make rash vows or promises to God. When you make a vow to God, so we're talking about being in the house of God here, right? This is the context, the Jews going to the temple. For application's sake, let's say us, it's going to church to worship God. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, better not to vow than to vow and not to pay. Have you ever made a promise in your life? Have you ever made a promise to someone in your life? The chances, I would think, are pretty strong that we have. For instance, everyone that is married here has made promises to one another. They're called vows. And they are not made only before our friends and our family whom we invited to witness the ceremony, but we made promises and vows to one another as God being our witness. And basically that, that we are people or a person of trust, and that which I have vowed, I also will fulfill. And that is a vow that we made before God. No matter how difficult No matter how hard, the fact of the matter is, is that we made vows to one another, and God expects us to honor the promises that we have made 
before him. Not only at the altar, but through all the stages of life, we are to give meaning substance to what we vowed and promised to one another by keeping our word. I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a movement still going. You don't hear as much about it up here. It's called Promise Keepers. It's a men's movement that looked at the lack of manliness in the male culture, in the evangelical church. And it said men are no longer being men. They are no longer being true to their word. They are not keeping that which they have promised to their wives and to their children and before God. They are no longer being men of their word. And they are breaking a sacred trust. Now, you know and I know that when we do not fulfill our words to one another, we break trust. And when we break trust with one another, it brings an incredible pain. It opens a searing wound deep in the hearts of the person that we have made promises to. And when you are wounded and when you are hurt, it becomes doubly difficult to be faithful to the promises that you made, even though your wife or your husband or that person in your life is not fulfilling their word to you. And then we get into the rationalization, if you won't fulfill your word, I am under no obligation to fulfill my word. That simply is unbiblical. When you make a promise to God, do not make a promise rashly. Do not do it thoughtlessly. Ask yourself, is this a promise for better or worse, for richer or poor? You heard about the two people that got married 50 years ago. She married for money. He married for beauty. And at their 50-year anniversary, they shook hands and said they were both even. <laughs> That's just a joke. Delete that. But when we make promises and we break promises, we break a sacred trust. Kids go haywire. There's something in their little minds and hearts that just just basically melts down and disconnects when promises are made to them that parents don't keep. I'm talking, I'm not talking about uh, little stuff, even though little stuff, I'm talking about stuff in life that basically says, you can depend on me. You can trust me. I'm going to do this and they don't do, and these little kids grow up, and there's something that is wired into the DNA of the soul, of into the emotional, intellectual, spiritual makeup of children that they just disconnect, and they don't really know how to put together the confusion that's going on in their hearts. Now, we, 
as God's people, first and foremost, are promise receivers before we could ever be promise keepers. Because everything that you and I do is dependent on what God has told us in his word. And we agree to believe him and walk by faith with him because we know that what God said in his word is true and that God will never break his promise with us. Now in the Bible, there is one vow that is very prominent. It's the Nazarite vow. Now, the Nazarite vow was taken by individuals who had voluntarily dedicated themselves exclusively to God. The vow is a decision, an action, a desire on the part of people whose desire is to yield themselves to God completely. Now, by definition, the Hebrew word nazir simply means to be separated or consecrated. There are two individuals in the Old Testament and one in the New that come to mind about a Nazarite vow. In the Old, I think of Samuel and Samson. In the New Testament, I think of John the Baptist. Now, there were three basic guidelines to the Nazarite vow. Numbers 6, to six 3 to 7 tells us that those who took a Nazarite vow were to abstain from wine or any fermented drink. Nor was the Nazarite to drink grape juice or to even eat grapes or raisins. That would be very painful for me. I love raisins. Not even the seeds or the skins of them. Then the Nazarite was to cut their hair for the length of the vow. And lastly, they were not to go near a dead body because that would make them ceremonially unclean. Even if a member of their immediate family died, they were not to go near the corpse. God did not require to be accepted by him. But the opportunity was there for them to express their devotion if they felt led to do so. Now, I've talked to you guys and gals many times about this as we're going through the Bible because this is so vitally important, I'll say it again. What we do does not affect how much God loves us. All we have to do is look to the cross and realize that God loves us because of what Christ did on the cross for you and I. It's on that basis and that basis alone that we are forgiven, that we are accepted, that we have fellowship, and that we are being sanctified. It's by the ongoing work of God's grace in our life. Now, to enhance that, we tell people if you want to grow in your Christian life, you should read the Word of God because it's spiritual food. You should talk to God. It's called prayer. You should fellowship with one another and go to church on a regular basis. For we should not neglect the gathering of ourselves together to encourage one another. And we should always be active in sharing our faith 
when God opens doors for us to speak for him. These are the four pillars of basic discipleship and growing in the Lord Jesus. Read, pray, gather, share. And if you take any of those out, you'll be strong in one area and you'll be weak in the other. Now, when we talk about vows, if you want to make a vow to God, it doesn't make God love you more. Oh, man, you're fasting. You get four stars today. Yesterday, you only got one. Because you were filling your big fat face from the morning you got up until you went to bed. One star for you, fatso. No, that's not how it works at all. All of these disciplines basically heighten our spiritual awareness of the great love that has already been put into our life. And it's so important to realize that that's how we're walking. None of you here, including myself, are impressing God by what you're doing. Now, by that I mean it might be impressive, but it doesn't change the unfailing, unmatching, unlimited uh, love that God has for you right now. You could decide to be the next Mother Teresa in the slums of Kelowna. God's not going to say, boy, I love you more than I love Heather. Because it doesn't change that way, and it doesn't work that way. So as we're going through this, it's just so important to realize our acceptance and love is based upon what's already been done for us, and we are not working for our salvation, we are what? Working it out. Big difference. We're working out the deposit that's already been put in. And the more that you work on it, the greater the revelation of what's been put in us. The less that we work on it, the less sensitivity we have to the Holy Spirit, and then we look at it and we go, that's a carnal Christian. By the time that they should be eating meat, they're still drinking milk from the bottle. They're still carnal. They're still divisive. They refuse to grow up. A baby in diapers is cute. How can we possibly say, when you hold up Junior and their drawers are filled from top to bottom, oh, isn't that cute? Here, Dad. Because they're babies. When you're 20 years old walking around in a diaper, it's not so cute. So when you make a vow to God, realize that it's not to make God love you more, but that there is something in your heart that you want to set apart to know God better. Does that make sense to you? So when you make a vow or a promise to the Lord, we should consider a few questions before we do such a thing. Because the Bible makes it clear that God will hold us accountable for the vows and the promises that you and I make. It's not like we say something and God goes, <laughs> good one. And then he thinks about it and goes, 
You know, I forgot all about that. No, he doesn't. So when we're going to do something, ask yourself this. Do you intend to keep that promise? Promises should never be made without an intention to keep them. That's why the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you're not going to keep your word, you don't want to do it. Now, I know how that works. I don't want to disappoint Joe Blow. So when he asks if I'll be there to move on Saturday, you know, it's my Christian duty. I should, yeah. Oh, of course I'll be there. With no intention of being there at all. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Even something as benign as promising, hey, I'll pray for you. And then you never pray for them. Neglecting to pray for somebody that you said you would pray for is a broken promise. When it comes to swearing an oath, Jesus himself just said, look it. Yes is yes and no is no. Whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Number two, have you thought through your promise? Flipping promises can be dangerous, especially when made to God. As we all know, marriage is under attack. Good marriages, healthy marriages are under attack. And we all know that there aren't perfect marriages. There are two people that are under the grace of God working out their selfish, sinful tendencies together. And the greatest words that you can ever learn in a marriage is, yes, dear, I was wrong. Can you forgive me? Marriage vows, my friends, are not options. Tara, you came late. Marriage vows are not... (laughs) Uh, They aren't. They're serious vows. Third thing is, number one, do you intend to keep it? Have you thought through it? Number two... Third, do you have the power to carry out your promise? One variable has no guarantee that they could be kept and therefore should be avoided. Now, let me just give you one example from Scripture when it comes to money. The book of Proverbs, and Solomon should know, because he had a lot of money, he says you should be very careful about making promises about other people's promises concerning their debts. It's called being surety, being a guarantor. In Proverbs 6, 1 to 3, it says, My son, if you have become surety for a friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth, so do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Be very careful whether or not you promising to fulfill the promise. Promises like these can harm one's reputation and make the person who promised them seem 
untrustworthy. Because God says you should honor your word. Proverbs eleven fifteen says, He who is surety or security for a stranger will suffer, but one who hates being surety is secure. The New Living Translation puts it this way, there's danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. Proverbs 22, verse 26, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. Or as the New Living Translation says, don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. In other words, consider well making a promise for another person's ability or willingness to make good on their word. So friend asks you to be security if they need money and they ask you for money or security to secure their debt, ask yourself one simple question. Is your money more important than your friendship? Because if it is, there is a good chance that your guarantee, should that person fault, will lead to the end of that relationship. Secondly, we've all heard about stories and promises made to God in times of trouble. God, if you get me out of this foxhole, I'll serve you the rest of the days of my life. I watch quite a bit of documentary history on the wars. First World War, Second World War, Vietnam War. Uh, it's interesting as they're interviewing soldiers. I remember one interview uh, where the soldier was in the Ardennes Forest during the Battle of the Bulge, and they were getting shelled quite vociferously, and every person in the foxhole was praying, and <clears throat> the soldier said, there are no atheists in a foxhole. I remember watching an interview with a soldier that was on the landing crafts that were coming into the beaches of Normandy. I believe that there are 32 soldiers. There was not one soldier who was not praying on that landing craft. And I can imagine what they were saying. God, if you get me through this, I will There was a ship called the Greyhound. It had been thrashing about in the North Atlantic storm for over a week. The canvas sails had been ripped. The wood on one side of the ship had been torn away and splintered. The sailors had very little hope of survival. With the storm raging fiercely, there was a boy on the ship named John Newton. His life seemed as ruined and wrecked as the battered ship that they were trying to steer through the storm. Since the age of 11, he had lived life at sea. Sailors were not noted for their refinement of their manners or speech in those days. But Newton had a reputation for profanity, coarseness, and debauchery that even shocked the sailors. 
John Newton, among his mates, was known as the great blasphemer. He sank so low at one point that as he worked the slave ships, that he became a servant to the slaves in Africa for a brief period of time. His mother was a Christian and often prayed that John would become a minister and taught him at an early age the scriptures. That day, as they were in the storm, and he was at the helm, March 21, 1748, was a day that Newton remembered forever. For on that day, he says, the Lord sent from on high and delivered me out of deep waters. Newton basically promised God that if, and from that day on, Newton never ceased to be amazed by God's grace and told his friends, my memory is nearly gone, he said, towards the end of this life, but I do remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. And he wrote, of course, that great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. John Newton knew full well before the storm that God was worthy of his full surrender and service. But God had to take him through a catastrophic event to get John's attention and say, John, I'm here. Sometimes we go through these catastrophic events and we make vows to God. Maybe you're one of those people and I would ask you today, have you kept your promise to God? For God has kept his promise to you. Here's the conclusion of the matter in verses 6 and 7. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity but fear God. James sums it up perfectly in his epistle in chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31. He told a parable about two sons. The father said, I want you to go out and work in the field. A son said, I will do that, but he never went out to work in the fields. The other son did say he would go, and he fulfilled his word. And the Lord said, who do you think did the will of the father? It was the second who said that he would do what he promised to do. You see, when it comes to making promises, the Bible tells us something very simple. You don't know whether you will be here tomorrow. 
you don't have any idea of what is going to happen outside those doors today. Does that mean that we walk with fear and trembling and we surround ourselves in an incubated room? No, not at all. We walk with confidence that our times are in God's hands. Therefore, we have complete courage and confidence to know that we are going to go as long as God wants us to go and not a day further and not a day shorter. But to think that you can be the master of your own ship and the planner of your own destiny, the Bible calls that foolishness. You can make your plans, but the Christian worldview says, if God wills, I will do such and such. Does that make sense to you today? I don't know if I should wrap it up there or keep going. I think I'll wrap it up there. You know why? I think that's, that's a good place to close the, the message today. Your words and your promises. Now, everybody just ex- exhale, relax. Sam and Milena, will you want to come up here? One of my great fears of being a pastor is, did I beat the living tar out of everybody every Sunday, send them out bloody and bruised, or do you, were you encouraged? Because that, that's, that's the desire of my heart. I just want you guys to just, you don't have to sing, just play some music. And um, I just want you to take a moment or two and reflect. Be with the Lord this morning. Think about your words. Think about your promises. Just do a little reflecting and, and, and do a little talking with the Lord. Because he knows your hearts. He's the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. He certainly knows your heart's better than anybody else here. And uh, maybe there's just some things that have spoken to you today from his word, by the Holy Spirit, that you want to take some time and just talk to the Lord about. Can we do that? Okay, so do something musical. (laughs) And uh, the rest of you, forget about who's behind you or in front of you or whatever. Just worship the Lord and reflect upon your words. Have you broken your word and some promises? Is there some things that the Lord wants to take care of there? Or is it like you want to reinforce the grace of God in your life by the things that you have stood by and the things that you said that you'd do that you've been faithful to? God bless you. So let's just take a few minutes and worship the Lord. And then we'll close in a word of prayer.